Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. The moment that beautiful child enters this world, we're already talking about saving for college. And in that first year, I think we really do try as parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles. But will it be enough? This is Maximizing Outcomes with your host, Jim McGovern. I'm Patrice Sikora. You know, Jim, I have to ask, is college still worth the price? You know, it's a great question. It's literally the, I would say the million dollar question. It's more like a multi-million dollar question that's yeah. on the minds of everybody because it's been all over the news really the last several years that college tuition costs continue to soar. Uh, and then you know, a lot of kids are getting out of school with massive student loans that they spend a lifetime trying to repay. And, and that is the question more and more people are starting to ask themselves is, is college even worth it? And you so, go with your degree. Do you do you have a do you have skills when you come out? It, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, sometimes you look back and you go, okay, I, I went, I spent a lot of time and money, and yet this degree that I have isn't transferable into the workforce where I can get income that justifies the cost of the education. So there's definitely some things we have to dive into today to talk about this serious topic because it is a multi-million dollar decision, not just in terms of what you're spending to send a child to school, but what about the career opportunity? Like, what's their lifetime earnings potential going to be? So, I thought we'd start high level, and this is very generic. Obviously, it depends on the student, right? Not everybody is mm -hmm. is um, you know, college may not be the best path. In fact, you look at the trades. Sometimes that's a much better deal for some people, not just in terms of affordability, but just the amount of money you can make in the trades is huge. So, I wouldn't assume that every child has to go to college. But if we start high level and look at Average earnings. A lot of studies still indicate that you know if you have a high school diploma, the average income during your career is about forty-two thousand dollars per year. And if you compare that to a bachelor's degree, the average person with a bachelor's degree has a salary of about eighty thousand dollars per year. Ooh. So that's that's eighty-eight percent more than a high school grad alone. Mm -hmm. But if you go a little bit further and say, well, what about a professional degree? Well, the average earnings for someone with a professional degree is about $156,000. So that's 90% more than a bachelor's, but that's about 265% more than high school. So again, on average, it's still suggesting that a higher education still still pays. All right. But really, the cost of tuition, they've skyrocketed. They, they haven't even, it's, I use that in past tense, they continue to skyrocket. They do. You look at inflation. I mean, inflation's also been all over the news. And uh, yeah, we've seen costs of things like clothing. If you go back the last you know, 30 or 40 years, let's go 40 years, It's clothing's gone up 30%. Coffee, I'm not suggesting you go out without your daily coffee, but that's up 138%. <laughs> Gasoline's up almost 200%. Housing's up almost 468%. And then you look at tuition. Tuition is up 861%. Wow. So that that's an average increase of almost six percent per year. And I, I just think back, you know, when I was really little, I remember uh, our, our next door neighbor. He had a son, and he had like the paper out. He had, like the monopoly on the local local paper out. And from the time he was, I think maybe you know twelve or thirteen, the youngest age you, you could get the paper out, he worked that literally every single day until he went to freshman year of college, and he was able to save enough money 
to pay for freshman and sophomore year of college. Mm. Those days are gone. I mean, first off, paper routes don't exist anymore. But the the probability that a student can save up enough money through junior high and high school and then work summers and pay for their education as they go, which a lot of people did. I mean, those are those days are long gone. So you know, I think a lot of families now looking at these staggering costs and they're saying, hey, how are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did want to spend just a minute just talking about what the average cost is for public versus private school. So if you're listening and you have a son or daughter that's a senior in high school, you look across the nation, you're looking at about $23,000 of tuition for their freshman year at a public school. Private and school, it's, it's 53000 that's, that's just the tuition, right? It's just the tuition. That's before parking tickets and fraternities and sororities <laughs> and... Things like that, extracurriculars. And I'm sorry, I cut you off. How much is it for the private? Private's uh, private's fifty three thousand. Jeez. Per year. So do the math with an inflation rate. Look at four years, assuming they graduate on time. That means public school is about a hundred grand. Private school is about two hundred and thirty. And again, that's for somebody who's eighteen years old right now. Look at somebody who's as a ten year old. You're looking at about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for public school. About three hundred and forty thousand dollars for the total four years for a private school. And a newborn, you're looking at almost a quarter million dollars for public school and a half a million dollars for private school. So no wonder eight out of 10 families have to eliminate schools and school choices just purely based on cost. They go, we simply cannot afford to pay these tuitions. Mm -hmm. But wait, Jim, my kid's going to get a scholarship. (laughs) I'm hoping, I'm rooting for you, right? (laughs) And, and by the way, there is still a lot of a lot of money out there that, that students can pick up, but you have to know where to look. You know, we have stats. We're, we're happy to provide these for folks that, that look at you know what are the odds that your child gets an athletic scholarship to a D one program. Those odds are very very slim. I'm not saying they can't do it, but it's very slim odds. You look at merit based aid, need based aid. There is still a lot of money to help families bring down the cost, which we're going to spend some time talking about. Okay. Do all students pay the same? I mean, are they all equal? It's it's not even close. And I, I want parents to start to think about the business of college. Like think of it like any other product or service that you're gonna buy. You know, what is what is the college, what is the university selling? Well, obviously there's an educational component. Like that's the whole reason why you're selling them there. But they're also selling a four to five year experience, sometimes even six years. In fact, there's a trend towards graduation happening in five to six years, way more often than it's happening in four years. And that significantly increases the cost. Is that still a bachelor's? Because some programs you still, get a master's if you stay that long. That, that's still for a bachelor's. Oh, wow. Right. And there are more programs that are like a combo where you may have three years is technically your undergrad and then two more years and you get a graduate degree. That, that's a little bit different. And that might actually save somebody money. So I'm talking about just a bachelor's degree. You know, you're squeezing four years into six because you're just enjoying the ride a little bit too much mm. or just totally confused on what you want to do when you get out and you change majors. You know, so that, that definitely plays a role. But but if you think about the other thing that the college is selling, it's the dream of the better life once you get out. And I think that's where a lot of families fall into a trap. They think that school selection is going to lead to a better life, and it doesn't always add up that way. So branding is powerful. Uh, these colleges and universities spend a lot of money on marketing and branding, just like any other business. So it's sometimes the difference between buying a Rolex versus a Timex. You know, Rolex, Timex, they both tell time, but one's a status symbol. Nobody brags about, hey, check out this new Timex that I just bought, right? But people do brag about the Rolex they bought. They brag about the school they send their, their kids to. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of kids will dream about going to the Ivy League school or the school that wins the national championship on TV. And there's a host of other reasons why they, they choose certain schools. 
but I think more and more kids are getting their information on where to go to school off of social media. You know, looking at Instagram and TikTok, and they're saying, "I want to go there." Yes, yes, yes. I can see that happening. There's parent influence too. You know, parents say, "I went to school here. You should look there. You'd be a legacy." Or parents think where they went, maybe wish they went somewhere else, and they start to steer their children towards what they expect out of them. But I, I do think ESPN has a lot to do with it, and I think brochures and websites and, and social media uh, really start to dangle the carrot of look at this better life you could experience if you only went to school here. And, and, and emotions really play a role. You know, kids and parents dream about this for years. They fear not getting into their first choice. Actually, a crazy thing to do is watch. You can do this on YouTube. You can do this on a lot of different social media outlets. But watch the videos of kids opening acceptance letters. I mean, it's just like their dream school, the letters in the mail, they open it up and the kids are all celebrating, their families are around them. They're going crazy over this stuff. So super, super emotional. Yeah. But then you get the bill. You get the bill. (laughs) Then it gets a little bit more real. It's like, wait a minute, are we sure we made the right choice? So what are some of the the assumptions that parents and, and students make? What I find is... Most parents, especially when you talk to them when their their children are younger, they just assume that those numbers that I mentioned earlier, okay, the cost is going to be X. You know, I'm going to be paying seventy thousand dollars per year, and then they they prepare their finances as if that's a fact. And there's some pros and cons to that approach. I think a lot of parents assume, especially folks with higher income levels, they just assume that well, we're not going to get any tuition relief, so why shop for a bargain? Uh, a huge mistake parents make is they just assume that their child is going to graduate on time, <laughs> and I think, again, through financial marketing, people assume that if I have a college account, then that means I'm doing college planning. And that's definitely not the case. That's just, I'm I'm creating a sinking fund. I'm setting some money aside to help pay for tuition, but that, that is not a college plan. On the student side, there's a host of other assumptions there. I, I think that students think that where they go to school matters a lot more than it does. I think they get sold on things like the connections they're going to make while they're in that school and maybe the power of the alumni network. And Again, that may be true for some students, but there's a lot of students where that doesn't play a role at all in their life. In fact, if they didn't get into that dream school and they're successful now, it's like, you're trying to tell me if you didn't get into that school, you wouldn't be successful. I think the success has a lot more to do with the person than it does the the school that they're going to. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I'll bet you they look at that school that uh, rejected them and say, ah, showed you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're not getting my donations. Right? I was going to say, and, and my yeah. kid's not going there. <laughs> that's right. But you know, I, I think that the parents, I think, sometimes misunderstand the financial impact. I think students absolutely misunderstand it. I mean, these kids aren't used to dealing with complex financial decisions their entire life. And I think that sometimes it's not always thought through as thorough as it should be about the income and the career path that you're going to have after school. And in looking at this as a return on investment, I'm going to invest my time and, and my money into this education. Well, what do I get out of it when I'm done? And a lot of people just think, oh, I'll just figure it out later. And and then reality hits and it's later. And they're like, I still haven't figured it out. And now I've got these huge student tuition bills. Mm-hmm. What can parents learn about uh, colleges through the eyes of the admissions team? Yeah, I think if, if you're looking at this as college as a business, well, let's look at it through the eyes of the business. Let's look at this through the lens of what an admissions director is seeing. So if you look at the elite schools, you look at like, I'll just pick on the Ivy League schools for a minute. The competition is so fierce to get into those schools. They do not have a problem filling seats. Their freshman class will be sold out. But if you look at a lot of other universities, and these are very good schools, these could be private colleges, it could be public colleges, they're having a very tough time filling their freshman classes. So if your job as the admissions director is to fill the classroom and the majority of them are not able to fill their um, their freshman class, 
well, like any other business, you better you better do some deal making. So this is all based off of supply and demand of filling the freshman class. So again, elite schools are always going to sell out, but if a, if a private school or public school is struggling a bit, they're probably going to offer some money to a lot of families to entice them to go to their school versus choosing one of the elite schools. This really is a buyer's market right now. Discounts are far more common than people think. I was seeing some stats the other day that, that said that 61% of public university students receive a discount. 61%. Hmm. At private schools, it's 91%. Oh my, that's a difference. It, it just flips what people think right on its head. Like a lot of people think, wow, that private school tuition, you know, I mentioned earlier, if you have a newborn, you're looking at a half a million dollars. Well, that's before the discount. If you're able to receive a discount and negotiate a better price, you might find that the actual cost that you pay is less than what you pay at a public university. So just like any other purchase in life, you have to think of yourself as the consumer and you have to learn on how to negotiate a good price. And you have to also think of yourself as an investor. What's the rate of return or the rate mm -hmm. return on investment from this school based on major and do some research on it. You know, there are some websites out there that will that will show you what the expected return on investment is. And I'm just going to pick on one that I saw the other day. It was, uh, it was NYU, very expensive school, and they have a degree. It's a master's in fine and studio arts. And it has an expected return on investment of negative $587,000. I don't think that's something <laughs> I would want to choose. Yeah, right. If that was like, you're going to put your money into a mutual fund that return that, you'd say, I, I think I'll look <laughs> elsewhere. I'm, I'm not saying that that's a bad degree for everybody. But if you're looking at this as, a, as an investor in your student's future, that's a, that's a tough one to get over. I mean, the expected starting salary graduation is $34,000. And oh by the time God. they're 40, I'm sorry, 45, it's only $40,000. So how are you going to pay your bills? So that might be something yeah. where it's like, again, the family may be tremendously wealthy and say that my child likes that and that's fine. But a lot of families aren't in that position where money's no object. They're saying we, we've got to find a better uh, a better value here. Well, where do you start? I mean, as a parent, it's, it is it is mind boggling. I've been there. Three boys through college, two at the same time because they were twins. I've been there. And to get started, it wasn't easy. FAFSA was terrible. FAFSA was terrible. It, it, it still is terrible. It's, <laughs> it, it, this is one of the least transparent purchases that parents will make in their lifetime. The only thing I can think of that's that's almost as, you know, I'd say, lacks transparency is a stay in the hospital. Like You don't know what the cost of the hospital stay is until long after you're out of the hospital. Then you get the letter in the mail, then you get the bill, you open it up and you're like, holy smokes, I can't believe how much this, this was. But at least you have insurance to cover, hopefully, the, the vast majority of it. That's not the way college works. Kids are applying to their dream school and they get accepted. It's really tough as a parent to say no. Think about the nature of being accepted. It's like, I really want to go here. I've been dreaming about this since I was a little kid. And they're like, we'll let you know. Take these tests, send us an essay, fill out our application, send us some money with that application. We'll get back to you. <laughs> and, and then you're on pins and needles. And it's like, aha, you've been accepted to our institution. It, it's tough. You feel lucky as a student to, to have gotten in. And many parents just accept the cost as is. So I would say that's that's really the number one problem is that you have a seller, in this case, the educational institution, that's determining what they think you can afford and they won't tell you ahead of time. So they pocket your application fee. They may reject you. They may accept you. And then after you've been accepted, that's when you find out what they think you'll need and what this is really going to cost you. Can you negotiate this? You, you absolutely can. And a lot of parents don't know that they can't. And we'll talk about some negotiation 
strategies here, not not too deep into that, but at least give you some ideas. So I, I think parents, where where you need to start is to understand the difference between the sticker price of a school. That's what they're advertising. This is what you know tuition and room and board and all these things cost versus what do you really have to pay? So we, we want to start with looking at that. I'll give you some websites that you can go to. But again, it might be the sticker cost might be $75,000, but they may be offering huge discounts via merit scholarships. So this has nothing to do with need and they're trying to attract better students. So if, you're, if your son or daughter is looking at going to an elite school, well, they're not a standout there. They're one of thousands and thousands of applicants that, that all on paper look exactly the same. Well, if you go to another institution, then they might really be a standout and they might attract enormous amounts of money. So it's, you don't really find out what this is going to cost you until you get that award letter at the very end. And here you're getting very close to actually going there and attending. I mean, this might be late senior year, it might even be happening over the summer after you graduated high school and you're still trying to figure out like, where am I going to go? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then most of the parents think that if they get this award letter, that's it. Well, if you've, if you've cast a wide net, if you've applied to a lot of schools, you're going to see a, a drastic difference in these award letters from one school to the next. And you can use those letters and say, look, I'm, I've applied to these other schools. These are also prestigious schools. And this is how much they're going to give us. And looking at, it, at what you guys are, are awarding, it's not even close. Mm-hmm. So it might be the school's just very stingy with their money. They might just tell you, hey, that's it. Well, then you might just choose to go elsewhere. But remember, if they can't fill that freshman class, they might be thinking twice, like we've got a student that we want to be here and we, we've got to find a way to make this work to get this student enrolled. What I'm hearing here too is don't wait to the last minute to apply. Right. You, you have to apply as soon as you can. And I, I think that when you're applying to one or two schools, I think that's where people run into, into some trouble. Mm. You know, they, they get their mindset on just this one place. They haven't really shopped for a variety of schools based on overall fit and haven't shopped based on affordability. It's, I think a lot of times it's the student leading the, the decision here versus the parents. We're going to talk about how to flip that a little bit. But yeah, I mean, if you wait till the last minute, that, that's when the money may already be dried up. It might be that the grants and the scholarships, that money is and the need-based aid's already been handed out. And now you're applying late and, and you might be paying top dollar because of that. Should you narrow down the, the search list to look for more affordable schools and put them on the list for your kid? I, I think you should. I, I think the parents should really, as soon as you can, I know it's tough because a lot of kids don't know what they want to do the rest of their life. In fact, I know plenty of adults that still are trying to figure out what Absolutely. they want to do the rest of their life. But I think that the, the sooner you can start to steer that conversation and you as the parent, if you can start to discover what schools are the better bargains? And we have we have tons of resources that we can give our clients for this stuff. But I think you can start to, hey, I know you want to look at that school. Great. Maybe we go look at that. And there's some other ones over here we're going to look mm-hmm. at too. And, and you, you can save a fortune by just by just shopping around for a much better deal. Uh, it's not, not real difficult to do. It takes a little bit of time, um, but it's not overwhelming. And then what about, you've got a, a an acronym here that you use, PEGS? Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about the college planning process. And I'll talk about this in two different stages. So the first stage is really, I would say, early stage college planning. That is, like you mentioned at the top top of the show, like you you brought a child into this world, like, you know, the college years or higher education, it's coming up eventually. Start early, right? And when I would say when you're starting early, that doesn't mean just go open up a 529 college savings account. I'm talking about just working on your overall plan to build wealth, to expand cash flow. And if you're creating wealth that's liquid, it's tax efficient, it has minimal impact on financial aid formulas, you're not only planning for college, 
right out of the gate, but you're also preparing for all the other life events that you're going to live through. Right? This is just one very expensive life event that your family's going to experience. There's a lot more to life than just this. So you, you have to prepare a very nimble, very flexible balance sheet. So you're preparing for all life events simultaneously. So that's really where you start. And some people are listening in. They're going, yeah, my child's already in high school. I get it. Well, we can't go back in time, but we can start today. Right. All right. The second thing is, and this is more of like, like I would say later stage college planning, which is now your your child is maybe as early as like junior high, but usually this starts to take shape in, in early high school. You start to figure out, okay, what are the affordable schools? Let's look for overall fit, not just brand name. And I've got some research articles I can I can give folks that that talks about, does the school even matter? In some cases, it does. I'll just give an example. If you're trying to get a computer science degree and your child's accepted to Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh or they're accepted to Stanford, well, based on that exact degree in that industry, yeah, that might make a big difference. That might open up some doors for them. But if they're going for elementary education, you know, they want to be, you know, an elementary school teacher. I don't know if it if it is necessary if if going to Columbia University and paying top dollar is going to make that big of a difference. Right. There's plenty of other great educational programs for people in that field that you don't have to spend a fortune on the education. So uh, when you're looking at school affordability, the family needs to set the budget first and then focus on schools that fit that price range second. And then you start to understand what affects our financial aid. So like I said a couple of minutes ago, the elite schools, well, they're attracting a lot of the wealthy families. They're attracting the students with straight A's, top level SAT and ACT scores. And imagine yourself again in the shoes of that admissions counselor. If you were a business would you offer a discount and cut deals when you have tens of thousands of applications? You're going to accept maybe 10% of all people that apply? Definitely not. And, and why offer a lot of money based on merit when everybody looks the same and you have all these wealthy people that are applying? They're all willing to pay top dollar. And, and your student is not a standout. Mm-hmm. You go to another school and they do look like a standout and, and now you can get some some serious deals. So that that leads us to your question, Patrice, about the acronym PEGS. Yeah, PEGS is something that's that's really easy to think through. The P in PEGS stands for price. Just ask yourself, is money an issue? I know some families are listening and money's not an issue. You might not care. Just where's the child want to go to school? They get in, great, cut the check and enjoy. There's other people listening that are very concerned. So you want to learn to use, when you're looking at price, the net price calculator before your child applies to school. Every institution has to have this on their website. So think of the, the the college or university that you're looking for. So it could be, for example, University of Pittsburgh. Well, search University of Pittsburgh net price calculator and you'll, you'll see a link that pops up. This gives you some insight based on your financial situation on what it's what it could look like if your child's accepted and what you'd be expected to pay. You have to be careful these calculators. While they're all required to have one on their website, they're not all created equally. If you enter your information and about 60 seconds later, you're done. It's probably not a real accurate depiction of what it's going to cost to go there. But if you've been sitting there for 15, 20 minutes, entering in information from your investment statements and your tax returns, and it's very granular detail, you're probably going to get a better feel for what it's going to cost to go there. So that's that's all dealing with with the P in, in price and pegs. The E in pegs is what's the expected family contribution? And they're actually changing this now. It's like the student aid index. Uh, that's what that's what they're called. But this is, if you go on the College Board website, they have an expected family contribution calculator. And this is where you get the chance to see what goes into need-based aid. So what's happening with this calculator is it's looking at your financial situation and it's 
kind of like government guidelines on what a a family should be expected to pay versus what their demonstrated need is. And you might find out that, okay, your family is expected to pay, you know, $20,000 per year. That doesn't mean that's what you're going to pay. That just means that that's how a school is, is looking at what you should be able to pay. And now you start to get into, okay, well, how close are we getting to meeting that need? How far away are we? Am I going to be way out of pocket? Right. So when you're entering these, these, pieces of information into the into the data set, into the calculator, you'll learn that some assets count against you and some do not. Mm-hmm. For example, most schools, whether it's um, you know a public university, a private school, doesn't really matter. They look at money in the child's name as money they should be spending on college. So if you're kind of in that zone where you might qualify for need-based aid, and there's a bunch of money in your child's name, they're going to say, depending on the, on the institution, somewhere between 20 to 25% of all of the money in that child's name should be going towards the cost of college per year. So do the math real easy. That sounds like over the course of four to five years, like all that money they think should be going towards school. Money in the parent's name may count against you in the 5 to 5.6% range because they recognize that you have other priorities in life mm-hmm. besides just paying tuition. So you have to retire someday, things like that. So you want to start to look at it's hard when the when the child's a senior to make financial decisions based on improving the chances of need-based aid but if your child is you know, maybe elementary school or younger maybe even junior high you still have some time to influence where that money goes a couple of things i want to mention real quick is that there are two different forms that are being used so there's the fafsa form which is the free application for federal student aid that's what the vast majority of schools in this country use to determine if somebody has a demonstrated need or not, there's 186 schools that use an alternate approach called the CSS profile. So not to get too into the weeds, but they're looking at this on a different level and saying, forget what, what the federal federal formula is. We, we really have our own alternate way of doing this and, and what we determine to be a need-based situation. And they count assets differently. So you might find that uh, one school doesn't count home equity against you and another school might. Well, odds are if that school is counting home equity against you, it's probably using the CSS profile form, which again, this stuff is all on the College Board website. So you might say, wow, we've got a ton of home equity. We've got a lot of assets that they're counting. Maybe we should look at some other schools that aren't going to count these things. Yeah, That's the E. G and S, these are pretty easy. G stands for graduation rate. Do some research on, on what the graduation rate is. A school might look like a good deal until you find out that almost nobody graduates on time. Well, that means you're going to be paying tuition a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And then the S is starting salary. You know, does it make sense to spend $300,000 on an education with a degree that pays $40,000 per year while the student is buried in debt and the parent's retirement perhaps has been destroyed? by the amount of money they had to pay out of pocket for college. That probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, I was going to say, the starting salary, though, doesn't that have a lot to do with the degree the kid gets? It does if they use it, right? It, right. Good point. <laughs> I mean, there's a Good lot point. of kids that go, uh, you know what? I, this is a cool major, but I can't find a job. Yeah. Well, well now what? So we, my brother and I have a friend True. that uh, he was an art major, and he was terrible at art. <laughs> he, you know, he, he got a degree, in it, and he'll be the first one to tell you. He's like, I, I'm not good at art at all. So he doesn't oh. work in that field. <laughs> All right, so we've got then um, so the graduation rates and then the starting salary. That's pegs, price, the family contribution, grads, graduation rates, and the starting salary. That's a pretty comprehensive way to look at something. But again, you've got to do this before the kids in high school, right? Yeah, I mean that that's when you're getting in that late stage college planning. Like you're starting to now look at okay, where we're we gonna go, 
right? I, I think the expected family contribution, like anybody who has kids at any age should start to get familiar with these formulas. They're probably going to change. In fact, they're changing this year. And they're probably going to change several times before your child goes to school. But start to understand how the game is played. That gives you your best shot of, of starting to shape your specific plan. But but yeah, but one, once the, cow, the child gets into high school, it starts to get a little bit more real. And you have to start to dive into the details of what schools are we going to look at? Yeah. And managing the kids' expectations. Correct. And I think the pressure sometimes. <laughs> it's yeah. We all, we all want what's best for our, our children. And, and sometimes that that puts pressure on them. Patrice, you were mentioning a story to me before we, we went live here about, about your son. I have three boys, including twins. And uh, when they went to school at the same time, obviously it was like, holy cow. But one got a full ride to the University of Rhode Island. Got up there, hated it uh, mm. for various and sundry reasons. He was a very He's a very studious kid. Stayed one semester, came home. Went to the community college. Went there for a year. Then went on to College of New Jersey. And then on to UC Irvine. And he has a PhD in chemistry. And I can't can't complain that the time he did at the community college helped him a lot, I think. You know, get things in perspective and decide where he was going. And he had the maturity to make that decision. He did. He did. I don't know if I could have went home and told my parents, I'm going to give up that free ride. Well, it wasn't easy, but when you see your kids not happy, I mean, really not happy, you say, fine, come on home. That's right. But and, I, it, it, and he turned it, out okay. It did. It did indeed. And it brings to mind, you know, the community colleges, don't diss them for heaven's sakes. They really have some very good, strong programs. This one in particular has a great science program, a business program, a criminal justice program. So look at them. I think it's becoming a bigger trend. In fact, I think a lot of larger universities are, are starting to look at this and say, you know what, this is a viable option. And a lot of them are starting to, to form some um, some programs with the community colleges yeah. saying, go there for your freshman year, sophomore year, and then all of your credits will transfer over and you finish out junior and senior year at the university. And that's where your degree comes from. That's right. You get the um, basics could save a fortune. Done. Yeah. Get that's the right. basics done at the community college. It's the, depending on the quality of the school. It's going to be just as good. And it's the basics. Then you have some time to mature a little bit. Maybe learn what you want to do before you go on to the bigger, bigger tuition bill. That's right. Grad school and uh, PhD programs. That's going to be a separate episode. That's Yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we told him the first four years are on us. After that, it's up to you. <laughs> it's totally yeah, up right. to you. The life of a grad student is not fun necessarily. No, I, I heard a good one at one point. I've, I've stolen this line many times that one of my clients told his kids, he's like, I'll pay for the A's. We'll split the cost of the B's. You pay for anything that's C or worse. <laughs> and he held the kids to it, which is the best All part. Right. All right. They, got, they got pretty good grades. They slipped up a little bit, but he said, hey, if they go to school and they get straight A's, they get a good degree, they graduate time, I'm more than happy to pay for it, but I'm not going to take everything I've worked for my entire life and literally throw it away mm-hmm. if they're going to go to school and not get good grades and fail out and things like that. They said that that's on them. But yeah, and, it worked and in that have- situation. That that's a I like that plan though I like that a lot and then I think as you mentioned earlier you've got to talk to the kid about what they want to do with this degree are you getting a degree in um well the kid who has the PhD at one time wanted to go into music composition and it was like what is that a degree <laughs> sounds like fun but mm. can you turn into a career yeah that's just it so what else do we have here some smart cost saving decisions yeah so this is uh we'll, we'll kind of wrap up with this as far as cost savings goes. Understand the differences between need-based aid and merit-based aid. 
So need-based aid is, again, you've looked at that EFC, that expected family contribution calculator, and yeah, there's a demonstrated need. So that need, you want to try to fill up as much as you can with other people's money, right? Can you qualify for grants, scholarships? Whatever you can't get from grants and scholarships tends to be filled with government loans next. Right. And then last is the private loans. And the private loans sometimes have higher interest rates. Sometimes they're um, they're just tougher to, to get your hands on. But if you're running these calculations and saying, I'm not even coming close to qualifying for any need-based aid, that doesn't mean you give up. That just means you should be looking at schools that are more generous and tend to provide merit-based aid. So that's based on perhaps the field of study. That's based on test results, grades, extracurriculars. There's a lot of other merit-based aid that, that people can get their hands on. And again, like I said a few times now, it's if you look at the elite schools, don't expect to get a whole lot if you're affluent. If you're have a very large demonstrated need, you might find that the elite universities have all kinds of money they can give you. So this really becomes a kind of a, a personalized conversation. And again, don't don't overlook the private schools. A lot of private schools, when you get down to the actual price, in fact, we have a whole list of schools that that'll meet 100% of somebody's demonstrated need, but they're also incredibly generous with merit-based aid. You might find that you're paying a, a fraction of the cost once you go to a, a private school, once you get some of these discounts. But again, the biggest thing is you've got to cast that wide net, and that's what's going to help you help you negotiate. So jump on collegedata.com. It's a great resource. Understand how generous a school may be. But as far as just some other little tips, money-saving things, you've got to really stress to your your kids that they graduate on time. Yes. Um, if, if they become a fifth-year senior, they're going to increase the cost by about 28% in a public school. If they're a six-year senior, they're going to increase their total cost of going to school by about fifty-eight percent. And uh, I'm not even going to talk about a seventh-year senior. That, that's a different. That's a different category. That's that's Seven Tommy year, boy. They're right? paying the bill, baby. They are paying the entire bill. That's right. I would consider the community college option. It's a great choice for for a lot of students. And and I would just look at start looking for schools based on that family budget. There's tools out there, one called uh, tuitionfit.com, that helps parents to set a budget and then discover schools that fit that budget. In fact, that that website is something that I, I think could be very eye-opening to a lot of students where uh, I think your your ticket to be able to use the website is you have to upload an offer letter. And what this, this website does is they they aggregate offer letters from thousands and thousands of students. And you can look at, based on your finances, based on your grades and your test scores, what did other kids like you get from each of these schools? That's interesting. Very interesting. You might say, hey, our family, we're willing to contribute up to 20000 a year or up to $30,000 a year and just sort the schools based on major that fit your criteria. And you might say, wow, I had no idea that here's here's five or six schools that we didn't even think about, but they could be a great fit. Let's go take a look. A lot of good tools out there on the web. It's just a matter of starting to put these things together. And you know, we, we've done a lot of the homework for you. You don't have to go out and uh, figure this out yourself. You, you, can, you can lean on our team and we can point you in the right direction with a lot of these things. Fantastic. And we'll have some of those resources in the show notes. Yeah, I'm going to put a few things in the show notes. Check them out. There's going to be a, a little fact card that talks about a lot of the things we discussed today about student aid and grants and give you, I guess, kind of an insider's look at, at how some of this some of this stuff works. So it's, it's an easy two-pager. And then we'll put links to Tuition Fit and a couple of the other websites in there that uh, you can start exploring. But yeah, I mean, our, our team, just resources that we have available. I can't put these in the show notes. Some of these things are proprietary, but we've got college list builder tools. We've got list of the nation's most generous colleges. We've got lists of schools that don't provide merit scholarships, schools that offer full ride, 
white papers, articles, software that can put all this stuff together. So you don't have to go it alone. You can if you want. <laughs> stuff is all out there in the public domain. Or you can lean on us and have the easy button. And how can listeners reach you? A couple ways. Uh, one, you can check us out on our website, www.mcgovernwealth.com. You can also, uh, there's a contact us form on that website. You can also email us directly, info at mcgovernwealth.com. And just let us, let us know you listen to the show and you want to talk about college planning and we'll carve out some time together. All right. And I will say, follow this podcast, Maximizing Outcomes, to know when the latest episode is ready for you. And then I'm going to say, please share with others, but parents, share this with your kids. Let them understand what you are thinking about and what they should start thinking about as well. So get in touch with Jim and his team, share this podcast, and thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number. 0F67329 AR Insurance License Number 7119103 California Insurance License Number 0F67329 Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103 Compliance Number 2023-164762 expires December 2025